Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 135. Uh, me and Ryan here doing a end-of-year recap with Sergio Chapa of the Houston Chronicle, and we're going to we're going to jump and, in. And Joe Dancy. Oh, and Joe Dancy. That's right. Joe Dancy. Yeah, we uh, we have some good information from Joe, uh, one of our one of our great listeners and uh, supporters, and lo- love to get him on the show. He actually, Ryan, we get a lot of positive feedback when we have Joe on the show. Yep. So uh, not Sergio though. No, no positive no, feedback about Sergio. No. Nobody a lot of likes Sergio. Not a lot of complaints. except that one reviewer. That one reviewer. Yeah, we yes, yeah, Sergio's lone fan, the lone wolf out there that loves Sergio. So. Yeah, uh, real quick, so for the listener's perspective, we record this on Friday the 20th, um, and so uh, this podcast will come out on the 23rd, so mm-hmm. um, keep that in mind. Anything that could change between now and the 23rd or 24th when it comes out is, uh, this is all, um, you know, that. And a couple things, Josh, uh, Sergio's, we've already recorded his interview, um, and we talked, we got to think about it afterwards, he's only talking about Texas numbers for the Permian. So we, right. me, I think me and you were kind of mixing terms with Permian and Texas, but Sergio, uh, to his credit, was actually repeatedly saying Texas. So we want to make sure uh, that we made that clear that when he's talking, it is Texas. A couple things, we will have a show this week. Uh, we have uh, Joe Dancy and Dan Stevens coming on next week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we will have uh, Rob George to talk about Exxon and their big lawsuit. That would be January the 6th. And then Josh and I will be back January the 13th uh, for regularly scheduled programming, I believe, is the next date, right? Yeah. Uh, and we should have an update on the Polar Plunge. As of this recording, date, we are how many away? We are at 218 five-star reviews. We are so seven reviews 107. away. We need 107, right, Josh? It's 107. It's 325. So we're we're so far... You shouldn't worry about don't it. Don't even worry about don't it. Don't even worry about it's it. A waste you time. are lying, don't even, you guys. It was two hundred and twenty-five. I have you on the record saying that. We do have two to read real quick before we get to our 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 show. Um, let me pull those up real quick. And before we say this, you know, guys, here it's, it's really a question of do you love us or Nate? It's us versus Nate at this point. Um, you can no, it's not us versus Nate. It's, don't, it's not Team Ryan. It's not Team Josh. We're putting a truce on that battle until January one. <laughs> it's 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 a. Uh, we need we need like a name like you got like Raylo and Benifer and stuff like that. We need like Rosh. So Rosh versus Nate. You know, one side of the table versus the other. If you are on Team Nate then you will send us to the lake in 2020. If you are on Team Ryan or Team Josh or Team Raj, whatever you want to call us, you will hold those reviews until January 1st, and then you will pound them so hard that Nate will understand the amount of disdain that you have for him and that we have for him, and we'd really appreciate that. So January 1, let them flood in. Let's get it to like four or 500 to show Nate that, we, that, 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 that you guys are on this time. Okay, Listeners, the tactic of fascists is to drive a wedge between people and to exploit <laughs> that for their personal gain. We're just trying this to, is not a divide cold. between we're, me and Ryan and yeah, Josh. This is, this is a divide between us and you. No. And your desires, and your desire, as you have shown us, is to get us all into the lake. No. Carry it through. Make no. it a truly Merry Christmas for all of us. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You done with that? Good. We have two. We have two. This is, we have two, we have two reviews to read. One's Black Gold Dreamer. Great podcast. Been listening for over a year. Great podcast. Five-star review. Thank you very much. Um, now, there's two new hashtags. One's Polar Plunge, which makes sense. The other is hashtag Ryan in a Speedo. And, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. 
I've been married for 13 years. I don't think my wife's actually ever said it to me. So this is not something that we want to see. Um, but if you're not careful, you get you will get what you ask for, potentially. It depends on how cold it is. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a sissy, so it depends on how cold well, it is. Well, this person's name is Black Gold Dreamer. <laughs> Black Gold Dreamer. So they're, and they're, then we, they're just wanting a dream to come true. And then we have uh, Fracking Righteous, get, get them all into the lake. This is what we don't need. This is what we don't. This is exactly what we don't need. Five stars. All in the lake. Great weekly podcast to get the highlights of what's going on in the industry. Thanks to Josh, Ryan, and Nate. That's what. We, so the last two reviewers, we really appreciate them. We love our listeners, but they're not on the same level as Ryan as a podcasting god. They're probably newer to the show. You know, don't really understand the ethos of what's going on here. So we we do appreciate it, but please, please, please hold those five stars until until January 1, and then let Nate know how you really feel about him. About Get the God in the Speedo. Hashtag, so. hashtag Speedo. Full um, 2020. Anyways, without further ado, we'll, Josh and I will not be closing this out because there's not much to say. We do wish you a Merry Christmas, uh, and we'll be back, I guess, one more time before New Year. So I hope everybody has a wonderful Christmas, and be sure to connect on LinkedIn. Uh, and if you got any questions, or Instagram, and chat with us between now and then. All right, we have our good friend Sergio Chapa. He's coming on the show today to give us some end-of-year reviews, take a look at some companies. And uh, so great great to have you back on, Sergio. I've uh, been looking forward to this for a little while. Hey, it's great to be back. Thank you. Thank you. End of the year, Sergio, 2019. We go into 2020. Uh, first off, thank you um, for coming on the show so often. We do appreciate your time and uh, all the good work you do with the Chronicle. And we, we had a discussion here in the office the other day, and we're going to put this out here publicly for the listeners. I was on a call with someone the other day, I won't say who, and they suggested that you should be on the Mount Rushmore shirt if we get the Mount Rushmore shirt done. Now, I'm wow. not going to say who suggested that to me, um, but wow. someone with the name uh, Mergio Hoppa, I think is kind of how that name. <laughs> <laughs> so we will put it out there to the listeners. Should Sergio be the fourth person on the Mount Rushmore. Now the He's problem really is is that we have if we put Nate on there. If we don't put Nate on there, then we, we have we have two spots to fill. Um, but right. if we put Nate on there, we only got one. So Sergio Chapa, uh, a loyal and good guest, has a. Uh, I think he he might deserve a spot on the Mount Rushmore. Um, but Sergio, with that being said, uh, I know you have. That would be an honor, Ryan. That would be an honor. It, it, well, it's it's still it's. I mean, I mean, since I was since I was competing against Donald Trump, you know, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> right. You 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 weren't competing with him. Don't worry. Don't worry. Now I did ha- I did receive a text from you Monday night, and just so the listeners understand how you antagonized me, um, you've released a piece that the top ten longest horizontal wells in Texas, and right. then you told me that your editor cut out the sentence that said the Barnett shell did not have any of the longest top ten laterals. I mean, why you got a Barnett Seamus? I don't understand. Why you got a Why you got a Barnett Seamus? Well, Ryan, it's uh, <clears throat> in keeping on the uh, market trends. You know, you, there, there's a clear trend here that, <laughs> that people are exiting the Barnett Shale. Yeah, yeah, there is. In fact, Devin yeah. just sold their holdings to private equity. We were yeah. 170 million dollar deal. Then let's think about what that deal was worth 10 years ago when they entered the Barnett Shale. How much they, how many billions they bought it for mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. how many millions they mm-hmm. sold it for. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, not not shaming. It's just the it's just hard hitting truth. It's data. The data. data is speaking. 
Yeah. Well, Sergio, let's do get into it. Give us your – where do you want to stop? The top ten uh, horizontal wells, the top ten drillers. I'll let you pick where we go and maybe some surprises that you saw when you ran the data. And when is this data from? Well, when Because we're releasing this a few days from today. So, um, right. So kind of for the listeners, they go look this up. They're like, oh, Sergio's wrong. But when this is captured as of when? Right. So let's go through the top 10 drillers of the, of the year Okay. Here in the, here in the Texas oil fields. Now, of course, this is Railroad Commission data. It goes from January 1, 2019, and it goes through uh, Friday, December 20th. So the Railroad Commission is going to be closed all of next all of next week. That's December 23rd through the you know, past Christmas. And then I think they're open for maybe one day on the 30th and then closed again for New Year's Eve. And then New Year's Day. So, I mean, we could pretty much just call this data. And judging by the number, unless some companies file, like, I don't know, like 100 drilling permits before the end of the year, like, th- these figures aren't going to change much. So, and so, so you know, part of the work, you know, I know you know, and, 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 your, and your viewers know that, you know, I do a weekly column called Drilling Down. And it's looking at drilling permits across the state, you know, based on filings with the Railroad Commission. And then we divide them up into places like the Permian Basin, the Eagle Fort Shale, the Haynesville Shale, and even the Barnett Shale. And then we also do a separate one for conventionals, but uh, uh, vertical wells. But, uh, you know, just looking at the data this year, there's a big upset, Ryan. You think so? There's a, uh, there's a new king of drilling in the Lone Star State. And it's not its not a Permian company. I mean, it's not a Barnett company, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, no, it is, it is not a Barnett Shell player. Well, I, I think they actually were at one time a, a Barnett Shell driller, and then they got out of the sh- Barnett Shell. Um, but I'll tell you what, <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, longtime readers of Drilling Dam will know that that EOG Resources, that you know, the Houston Oil and Gas Company, um, they were the number one company in Texas, filing hundreds of drilling permits a year, easily the number one top driller in Texas. Well, they've just been dethroned by uh, by XTO Energy, aka Exxon Mobil. Yeah, and I know, I know from listening to your podcast over the years or, or over the, over the past year, I know y'all have been tracking their progress in in the Permian Basin and elsewhere. But, but you know, they're not just active in the Permian, Ryan. They're uh, mm-hmm. they're active in the Eagle Fort Shale mm-hmm. and the Haynesville Shale, and uh, those three out of the four shale plays in Texas. So, um, and what was the margin so there, they, Sergio? They, How much did they they, they, they pass them by? So yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, so one thing about Exxon XTO, I would and I would say that like roughly three fourths, I think. And I you know I need to look at these numbers again, but I'd say roughly three fourths. Anyways, the majority, a large majority of their drilling is in the Permian. Right. Then a you know a double digit percentage for Eagleford, and then a single digit percentage for the Haynesville. Right. And so, this, yeah, but just for the listeners, how many total permits we talking about for XTO right, versus EOG? Right, right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it was uh, 649 permit, drilling permits filed by XTO this year. So that puts them in the number one spot. EOG filed, and it's a wide gap. That's why I was, mm-hmm. I was saying at the beginning of the year, these, number, these rankings aren't expected to change much. EOG only filed 507. So EOG is a, a you know a, a two shale basin uh, company. It's mm-hmm. uh, just Permian and Eagleford. 
but they've got some of the sweetest acreage in the Eagleford EOG. They're in they're in that Carnes County, the Carnes trough. So their wells are you know prolific and very productive. So so 142 ish wells more for XTO than EOG, which is a substantial. I mean, it's a substantial amount because I'm sure I'm looking back at your drill down report from uh, this is July 8th. So for perspective, in July 8th. Um, we have one, two, three, four, five. Only six of the top ten have over 142 permits uh, of um, uh, uh, wells drilled um, uh, by the end. So 142 is, is it's a wide margin, and it's also a wide margin just as overall drilling goes. It's, it's a lot more, substantially speaking. Right. And so you can see that strategic shift in, um, <clears throat> in, in drilling out there in the Permian. And, you know, it kind of correlates with uh, with another story I did, the other top 10 list, the, the top tr- 10 drilling rig operators. You know, it, it, it's no coincidence that XTO is the top drilling permit company because they're also the top drilling rig customer. You know, they're ExxonMobil, according to data that, you know, that was exclusively shared by Inveris, um, they have 35 drilling rigs they've contracted 35 drilling rigs across the state so those 35 drilling rigs are constantly working constantly work constantly drilling and so yeah i mean it kind of matches what we see with the permits so you know, as you would expect the company with the most drilling permits is also the biggest drilling rig customer hey real quick sergio so, i know uh, this for the listener standpoint you you didn't know we were gonna ask you about this but you brought up exxon and and and, and the uh, leasing of the rigs we were told the other day that exxon has announced that they are either going to in 2020 or 2021 relatively soon go to the efrac rigs have you heard any comment on that uh, just out of curiosity because i heard that and i tried to do a quick search of it and i was just curious if you had seen anything on that if not we can go ahead and move on I hadn't heard that personally, but, okay. but you know, decarbonization and electrification of the oil field is a big issue that we're going to hear a lot more of over the next 12 months. Sure. So, okay. No worries. So that wouldn't surprise me at all. But, yeah. but, uh, but yet, uh, yeah. So, so getting back to the, the, the top 10 list. Um, so there's XTO number one, EOG resources number two. And then this, this next one required a lot of math, Ryan. It was, uh, Occidental Petroleum, which everybody knows as Oxy. So to to get the Oxy numbers, and it, they were ranked at third place with 487, just just like 20 shy of EOG. But you had to add up Occidental Petroleum. You had to add in Anadarko. Mm-hmm. You had to add in Oxy Permian, like USA, and then Oxy LTD. They drill under so many names, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same company. Right. You know, and so um, that's also another, you know, two shale play basin player there, Permian and um, and Eagleford. So 487. And now this is where things get more interesting after after Oxy. We see one of the large independents from from Midland, Diamondback Energy at 398. So that's, again, another, you know, 100 100 drilling permit gap there so um not going to really change the rankings and and then after uh after diamondback is pioneer with 381 pioneer natural resources out of irving and so they could they could upset the rankings if they want to file like another uh, 17 18 19 drilling permits between now and the end of the year <laughs> you know just to just to get just to get that fourth place you know and then, you know, the company owned by the wildcatter uh, billionaire, uh, Autry Stevens, Endeavor, 
energy resources is is in is in sixth place with 285 permits. And you know, we I, I know you talked about it on the show, and you know, I wrote about it earlier this year. But but I mean, they they've they've they, they, they that company Endeavor they've done a big push, you know, trying to you know, in, the, in that ongoing competition between the large independents mm-hmm. and the oil majors out there in the Permian. They, I mean, this, this is a company that files like batches of permits, like, you know, 30 permits at a time, you know, on a, on a single day. You know, I think I one time saw them file 100 drilling permits in a single week, just all recompletions, you know, a couple years back. So definitely a relevant player in the Permian and here in the, in the, in the States or the, in, the, in the Lone Star State. And then, you know, after Endeavor, we have the oil major Chevron with 219. Uh, then we have ConocoPhillips with 206. Then we have, uh, in ninth place, Concho Resources with 192. And then rounding out 10th place is Encana with 186. So, um, you know, you see a mix here of, of companies that are, that are you know, that, that are active in both the Permian and the Eagle Ford, mm-hmm. and you just see some pure... Permian players. So, you know, uh, what strikes me about that list, Josh, is we kind of go through it. Some of those companies we talk about regularly, and some of those we don't hear about often. And one of the things we talk about on the show is that every company has their own strategy. Every company kind of does things their own way. Like ConocoPhillips, they're, I think you said number seven or eight or whatever they were. And you you don't just hear eighth place. Yep. Eighth place. You just don't hear their name come out, uh, but you hear Diamondback pretty regularly. Um, it's interesting to, 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 when you see the numbers, um, I, you know, you can take the numbers and say, well, these companies are, are doing things in a certain way, um, but then um, they're all kind of doing things where they're, where they're kind of the, the leaders, if you will, but their their public personas are all different because ConocoPhillips, again, seems to like to fly a little bit more on the radar than maybe a Diamondback does or, um, you know, um, some of these other companies that you mentioned in, in uh, you know, Endeavor um, does kind of fly a little bit quieter on the radar. But I just find it interesting, Sergio, when you look at this list, it's not – uh, all big flashy names. I mean, ConocoPhillips is a big name, but you just don't hear them mm-hmm. like you do some of these other companies. No, no, you're right. And, um, and, you know, ConocoPhillips is, is, you know, um, is, is, you don't, you don't always, they're, they, they don't always get all these headlines, but I'll tell you what, uh, actually, you know, December 18th was an important anniversary for ConocoPhillips. Um, it, that's the day four years ago, uh, December 18th, 2015, uh, President Barack Obama signed the, uh, the omnibus bill, the budget bill that cleared the way for U.S. crude oil exports. Now, now I'm sure you, know, you remember it, so that was a compromise. Mm-hmm. We get the, the industry, oil and gas industry got crude oil exports while the renewables got tax credits extended. So that was comp- a bipartisan compromise, you know, a rare case of bipartisanship in, <laughs> in these times, but, uh, but it worked. And so ConocoPhillips was actually provided the crude oil for the first crude oil export shipment in more than four decades. It came from an Eagle Ford well in Cardins County, got pipelined down to Corpus Christi, got loaded up at a new star terminal onto a tanker. I think it was like an Aframax size tanker and then sent to Europe. Mm-hmm. So ConocoPhillips, you know, like like you said, you don't always, you don't always, uh, you know, hear about them, but they're doing things behind the scenes, and they're they're a steady, reliable player with large production numbers and large drilling numbers. So definitely, people need to pay more attention. Okay. So final question about the top ten for me, Josh may have something, but um, if you look at the top ten from last year, you have I'm gonna call them off real quick: EOG, Pioneer, Endeavor, Exxon, Oxy, Apache, Diamondback, Parsley, Conoco, and Sanchez. 
Parsley Energy and right. Sanchez Sergio did not make your top ten this year. Uh, any any idea of where the, how far they fell in the rankings? Yeah, let me let me let me pull it up real quick. Uh, let's see here. Da, da, da. Apache. Oh, Apache. Uh, it looks like they're in twelfth place. Okay. And then Parsley is somewhere around fifteenth place. Okay. Sanchez, as you know, they went through a bankruptcy right. filing. Right. So let's see now. That really set them back a bit. I see them somewhere. Down, let me add this up because you got to add in their two operating companies. So right. in the sixty-six range, that would put them roughly in the thirties. Wow. Okay. Or maybe even the low forties, high thirties, wow. low forties ranking. Okay. So yeah, that that was a big fall. Um, for Sanchez, for sure. So as we go into 2020, be curious to see what happens with this list. Um, you know, we got these companies on here now, and uh, some of these you feel like, you know, your EOGs, your XTO, uh, Exxon Mobiles, Oxys will be around, uh, Diamondback. Uh, but, you know, you never know what a year from now will hold, and that's a, uh, a stark reminder of just how from one year to the next you could be in the top ten and then, you know, in bankruptcy. So, um Exactly. You, you also released a, let's see here, it was the top 10 longest, was it longest laterals I believe you had, or what was the other top 10 that you did this year, Sergio? Right. So there was the longest, the top, and this is all, this is all in, you know, uh, in collaboration with Inveris, um, the, the, the data, the data company, oilfield data company Inveris. So they kind of opened up their data vaults and they, they, we did a series of three stories with them. And uh, so we did the, the top 10 longest laterals in Texas. We did the top 10, um, you know, uh, most productive wells in Texas. And we did the top 10 drilling rig operators and their customers. So, so on, um, yeah, on the on this, I think Josh, I talked about today, Henry Resources. That was the company we talked about the other day, the Henry Resources deal on here. Yeah, yeah Henry Resources, that's another company you just don't hear the name of. And they have one, two... Uh, three of the top ten most productive wells is Henry Resources, and, and they almost never make a headline. It feels like, right? You know, they did celebrate their, you know, their they they, they did celebrate 2019 as their 50th anniversary. I think so that's what we saw, something like that. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's the probably the only headline that you saw maybe this year, and it was out of the Midland Reporter Telegram, our sister paper. And, um, yeah. And, but other than that, I mean, it's talk about flying under the radar. I mean, they've got these, these wells and, uh, you know, th- th- this story with the top 10 most productive wells, it, it opened up a, a nice little debate online on LinkedIn, on, in my email, you know, everywhere <laughs> people talking about kind of, you know, Inveris put this data together using their own proprietary algorithm. And a lot of people, you know, were, were questioning, you know, how they did that, but, you know, you, it's really tough to put these together because, you know, um, because the way it's done in Texas is that, uh, is it, is it oil and gas production is reported at the lease level, not the well level, not the wellhead level. So, you know, to, to get these figures, you gotta, you gotta get the lease level production and then kind of look at when a well came online and then see the spike and do the math and, you know, kind of, you know, guess. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Henry Resources came out on the on the as as three out of the top ten, and um, you know it's a small family-run company, one that's uh, you know that's run on 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 Christian values. Um, so 
a very interesting. They, 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 and how they interpret that to mean is like, you know, treat their, you know, vendors, customers well, and how, how you'd like to be treated. And then also to like zero debt, which is, you know, something that, that the oil field has struggled with over mm-hmm. the past mm-hmm. decade, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so just to, we'll, we'll, I'll run through the top ten real quick for us. We got Henry Concho, EOG, Henry Conoco, Noble Energy, a name we haven't heard here recently in the news. Exxon, Chevron, Henry again, and then Concho. So you have two companies that kind of stick out: Noble and Henry. We talked about uh, Henry as, as I mentioned already, and you have Noble, but every everyone else is kind of names that like, Conoco. You might be a little bit surprised because you don't hear them, uh, but you're not surprised in the sense of they are a big company. But it, I guess it goes to show as far as if. If Inveris is correct, at least with that caveat, that bigger is not necessarily better when it comes to being able to produce good quality wells in the state of Texas. No, you're absolutely right. So it's, I mean, it's it's a couple things here. It's like geology, and then also like the the people that you have, the engineering, the the drilling, the the hydraulic fracturing, everything that goes into it. You know, the the teams that you build, like. You know, I mean, you, you could have the best acreage in the world, you know, but if you don't have a good team, you're not going to see the production numbers that one of your neighbors won't, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Sergio, what's interesting with this kind of data is, assuming it is right again, um, we hear a lot about companies not being able to be profitable um, and they struggle to make money. Uh, I, I wonder if Inveris is trying to tap into the market to sell to the banks and investors, <laughs> you know, hey, this is what these guys should be returning uh, because they can narrow it down, at least they say they can, to the uh, to the per well basis. And so uh, investors are start calling up saying, hey, why aren't you guys doing it like uh, Henry Resources is over here because they seem to be putting putting wells that are producing online. You know, I've seen a, a lot of companies do that with their prospects. Like they'll, uh, when they're trying to land investors, like individual EMP companies, when they're trying to get investors for, you know, a lease and drilling, I'll see them, you know, like, well, our neighbor, you know, such and company X, you know, produce blank on, on this piece of land next door to us. You know, it's actually uh, very, I'd say somewhat common still, you know, when, when it comes to those prospects, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, um, to, for people to do that. I mean, these da- this data is public. Anybody can just look it up and, uh, right. and find out, you know, how much a lease is producing, you know, or a company is producing on a particular lease. Well, Josh, he's Barnett shamed us twice by not mentioning the Barnett twice. So we go to the longest <laughs> lateral. And we already know, I've already told the listeners he Barnett Seamus there. He tried to publicly Barnett Seamus there as well. Um, so yeah, now you didn't bring up all of these companies that have offices in the Barnett. You didn't bring that up. You just omit that. It's like, oh, well, you know, you Barnett folks, you Barnett people. Um, but whatever. Let's go to the last the last uh, piece of the year, Sergio, on longest laterals. Uh, I know the winner of this one because we talked about the show, unless it's changed, is Surge. Um, and I was told, I'm curious if you heard this, I was told that they actually had one that was, um, I don't know if it was just as long or relatively close, but there was something that they didn't, they didn't uh, I can't remember the term I was told, but it's something like they didn't measure it the right way or they didn't uh, clock it when it had something like, it was kind of a technicality, but they should have actually had maybe uh, another one that was almost in that same length. Have you heard that as well? Oh, well, actually, you know, Inveris took, you know, settled, I think Inveris as a third party kind of settled that for us because uh you know the 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 way these things are calculated is total depth which is you know the the vertical portion the little angle portion and then the horizontal portion you know that that's total depth and then you know what you know in varus with their algorithms they did the math and with public filings 
they, 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 they're, they're defining laterals here as the gross perforated interval. And that's just the portion of the horizontal well where they, they do the, uh, hydraulic fracturing and, you know, the little segments and everything. And so, you know, as a tiebreaker, uh, surge energies, you know, still came out on top for their well in Borden County out in the Permian Basin, the Medusa unit still came out number one. So I think, I think it's good there, but you know, I mean, they don't have surge energy. Didn't have another well. Yeah. So I, I to go back and, the yeah, one. Yeah. So I'm curious. I have to go back and ask so, the person I heard that from what that, what the distinction was there, because, um, maybe I missed, but they were, they were, they weren't complaining. They're were saying, Oh, they had another one that was really long. And, um, of course, Oh yeah. You know, maybe maybe it has gotten maybe that one was really long, but it just got knocked down. But as we run through the list here, as sure. you mentioned, you have uh, Surge, which is a name that kind of made headlines. Um, well, with this, and then also I think uh, Inveris or Drilling Info, whatever you want to call them, released like their top ten uh, privately held companies of the year, and that, they were one of them, if I remember correctly. Um, but the names on this list are almost not uh, name for name, except with, a, with one exception. I think I'm seeing here. Or names that we have not heard yet, right? Because you got uh, Surge, Crankest, WPX, Patriot, Chesapeake, Exxon. There was Exxon, Parsley, SM Energy, BP, and Laredo. Sergio, those are this is a whole new whole new crowd of folks um, that we've been hearing, and we've and it's interesting because it's not we we've heard the the volume of permits, which you could say, well, maybe you're drilling longer laterals, so you don't drill as many wells. But we also looked at the the per well volume. Now, this obviously isn't the the only indicator. Um, on which you could have a well, but none of these companies from our member were on that list either for what that's worth, and not necessarily it's the, the definitive statement, but it is an, an interesting observation. Right. No, I mean, and that's what makes the covering the oil and gas industry so fascinating is that you can just look at it from multiple angles and just come up with different, you know, data sets. Um, yeah, you would, you would expect, you know, the, the, you know, the top 10 drilling permit companies to be, to be, you know, on this list as well, but, but they're not. And uh, or you would expect these companies and these particular wells to also be on the top ten production wells. You know, like you know, why isn't you know why why aren't these wells with the longest laterals? Why aren't they on the top ten list? You would think they would, but again, it comes back to you know a question of geology and engineering. You know, I mean, if you're if you're if you're drilling into you know. A, a, you know, uh, a grade B rock, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. longer. That isn't someone with a grade A lease or a, a acreage could just drill a shorter well and get more, you know, crude oil and natural gas out of it. You know, it's, it's but it, it's still interesting to see these links. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned surge energy. It's, it's, it's when, when you look at their drilling permits, I mean, their total depth is in the, you know, 20,000, 25,000 kind of range. You know, but then when you look at the gross perforated interval, you know, the, the section that's actually, you know, hydraulically fractured, it's it's a short, it's a smaller number. Right. You know, it's still a large number, though. Right. I mean, six, nearly no. 17,000 feet long. That That's it's measured in miles, Ryan. That's I know. It's three my, miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a great thing because you go uh, 3.21. OK. Well, what else? What, what's miles? OK. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a lot of a lot of footage going under the ground. So Sergio. This has been lovely, and we thank you for joining our end-of-the-year recap show. So now we need you to predict for us what will be the constant WTI price from 2020. We need it within five cents, give or take. <laughs> <laughs> five cents? 
<laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, I think I heard the number five, five-star reviews, and I think that they're going to come in. And I think that Ryan Ray and Josh Turner are going to have to take the polo plunge alongside wow. Nate, wow. Nate wow. there. Wow, that's, that's those, dirty. Those, uh... That's dirty. That is dirty. That's, 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 that's uncalled for. That's uncalled for. That's uncalled for. I mean, um, yeah. What was so. that hashtag, Nate, that, that had come up? Uh, hashtag <laughs> Ryan one? in a Speedo. Yeah, so if you, that's, that should be a deterrent. Like, that should be the deterrent. Don't. I will do it to you people. Don't make me do it. Okay, that's the deterrent. Um, so, Sergio, uh, as always, thank you for coming on. You have been a wonderful guest. Look forward to having you on. Right. And it, 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 remind me now, this is your second year at the Chronicle, right? Is that right? Year and a half? How long have you been no, there? No, we're marking first year. First, first, year. first year. So you have obviously done a terrific job at the Chronicle, just like you did at the Business Journal. So everyone, go check out Sergio's work. He is the best in the business. And we know that because he comes on our show. So it's like a self-validation deal. So when you quit coming on our show you won't be the best anymore i'm just By saying default. just yeah we, go. we're, we're gonna go ahead and let, label you let, 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 let donald trump down easily hey final question serious question chesapeake we could talk about them um they got their delisting notification we josh has talked about the show and you know you've seen some reports that they're talking about selling some assets uh any any insight or have you heard any rumblings about uh, what we might look forward to as we go into 2020 with Chesapeake? Well, drilling permit-wise, they look pretty solid. Like, they look completely unfazed, Ryan, from what I can tell them as far as their drilling permits go. Okay. I mean, they're continuing their drilling programs in, in uh, here in Texas, you know, relatively unfazed, I'd say. And, you know, I've, I've written about that before. They just shrug off that kind of news. You know, they've got the the drilling they need to do. They've got their production numbers they need to hit. Um, let's see now. Now I know they did have a couple signs of life in their stock. Like they almost got back to it. Almost got back to a dollar, but then now yeah, it's like a pump it up scheme. Cause it's a, uh, it's kind of falling <laughs> off there. So I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, we will see. I, I don't think we've heard the last of them yet. I don't think you can. Uh, I, I think you, I think that we're going to still see a lot of drilling permits. Well, we will follow that story closely and, I'm sure you will be reporting on it well at the Houston Chronicle. Be sure to check out Sergio's work. Yep. Sergio, have a good Christmas, New Year's, and we will talk to you in 2020. Thank you, sir. All right, guys. Happy holidays. All right. We have our guest, Joe Dancy, joining us again today on the show. He is with SMU Spindle Top Fund Advisor and Professor, Southern Methodist University. Joe, uh, it's been a little while since you've been on the show, man. I know there's uh, been a lot going on. I've seen a lot of your posts on, on LinkedIn. Uh, glad to have you, man. Look forward to getting into it uh, today. Oh, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. It's uh, been an interesting year, to put it mildly. mildly. <laughs> yeah, and you, you you were kind of running some posts, I think, earlier this year about how good of a year it's going to be for 2019. How did that actually pan out, do you think, in your perspective? was it? Did it meet your expectations or kind of miss the mark or uh, maybe blow past some of the things that you were expecting to see? <laughs> I hate to go back and look at what I was saying, but I tell you the honest Good news, oil price a year ago, West Texas was about $50 a barrel. And today it's like just over 60. So, I mean, that's a 20% move. So that's positive. And when I saw that and I, I, we'll talk about the future in, you know, in a few minutes, but I still think we're, we have more to run. We're not going to go to 100, but we'll do better than 60. And um, essentially the uh, rig count, on the other hand, has gone from uh, – Gee, I think it was around 
uh, over a thousand to 800. So it's gone backwards, even though oil prices and most rigs, uh, guys, you know, are they're drilling for oil. They're not drilling for natural. There are some that are drilling for natural gas, but the majority are drilling for oil. Right. So if you're drilling for oil and oil price goes from 50 to 60, you would think people would be happy. They'd be, you know, pulling the rigs out. But as you know, um, and I'm sure I've listened to some of your programs recently, uh, yeah, there's been a number of layoffs. A number of firms are cutting back on their capital expenditure. I mean, poor old Halliburton shut their Oklahoma office and laid, you know, 800 people off. And you know, a frack company in, um, out in Midland just laid off 115, uh, I think Superior Services, I think was the name of it anyway. Uh, so that's not good. So it's not. So the trend, you know, even though prices are up, now natural gas prices, I will admit, uh, and of course, a year ago, I pretty, you know, I told you, and I still maintain that I think we have way too much natural gas. We have more, way too much problems. So I didn't see natural gas going anywhere. A year ago, it was like 250 in MCF, and now it's like 230. So it hasn't gone anywhere. I wouldn't touch natural gas with a 10-foot pole um, investing in or uh, equities or in, in natural gas wells. Just uh, the only thing I would invest in in that sector would be uh, the processing uh, area where you're removing natural gas liquids, which is a boom town, or pipelines. If you have a pipeline, uh, because of all the obstructions and everything, getting pipelines built out, uh, a pipeline is a, it should be pretty profitable these days. But the interesting thing is, going back on 2019 also, uh, this is actually going forward, um, you know, there's a lot of folks now that are opposing natural gas. And natural gas is supposed to be you know, it's the wonder fuel. It's environmentally friendly. It's cheap. We got, you know, we have the Saudi Arabia of natural gas and people, there are cities now in places other than California are starting to ban natural gas appliances. And it's like, my God, I don't know. I mean, I love to cook on natural gas. I have natural gas heat. I have natural gas water. I've had, you know, and to me, electricity is all fine until you go and you realize that, you know, most of our electricity is made by natural gas. So you can say, you can't have natural gas in your house, but you're going to be using it anyway because of the electricity. So on that end of things, I'm I'm not surprised natural gas has not recovered, um, and I'm not surprised people aren't. You know, we well, I don't see a, a a recovery going forward for them, but I do think oil uh, led up to my expectations as far as prices, but activity has fallen way way short, and that's a disappointment. That's a disappointment for a lot of people, including a lot of shareholders. And I think I sent you earlier a little chart that I looked up this morning because mm -hmm. it's, uh, I'm, as a spindle top, I'm, what, at SMU, our students manage uh, part of the endowment and it's not a whole lot of the endowment, but it, they let them buy oil and gas companies. And we have this board and I won't mention some of the people on the board, but I mean, the board, you look around there and I mean, I learned just sitting next to them and listening to the questions they ask is, oh my gosh, yes, those are incredibly, and then they'll, they'll, elaborate on the industry, on the company. Half these executives, they know personally. It's like, well, you know, and the, you know, the CEO of some huge company. Oh, yeah, I, you know, I was at the lunch with them last week. And it's like, geez. But even with that insight, um, our students haven't been able to do really well in the last year picking equities, even though they do a great job selecting firms. These firms are all profitable. They're all growing. They're all well-managed. But uh, but the stock prices haven't, 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 responded. And I know partly if they were, you know, they, our students have avoided natural gas. And uh, part of the reasons they've avoided 
you know, natural gas is because we didn't, our, our price deck, we don't, we didn't think it was going to go anywhere this year. We don't think it's going to go anywhere next year. So we're in the oil, we're in the services, we're in the refiners, we're into a couple of pipeline companies, a couple of MLPs, uh, midstream companies. And even with those, um, we really haven't done really, done really the way we expected in the last year. And, uh, and so, um, so that brings up the big question. And I posted it on LinkedIn this morning with the chart and, just to ask people as I look at this huge discrepancy that's been going on since 2015 between the standard Ford's 500 and energy companies, energy companies um, designated by, I used a couple exchange traded funds in the energy sector, and it's a huge underperformance, both the last year as well as the last five years. And it's disappointing because you, what we try to teach the students, and this is like, not only me, I'm probably uh, the weakest professor at SMU on, on this, but we teach them when you analyze companies, you use engineering reports, and you also use what are called models and discounted cash flow models where you put in your prices, you put in your production, you put in your cost, and you come back with a discounted cash flow. And what these models are showing is these companies a year ago were grossly undervalued, today are grossly undervalued. If you run the models backward, well, if you run the models forward, what they're saying is these a lot of them are 50 to 100 percent undervalued, and these are large, you know, relatively larger companies. If you run the models backward and say, well, what what prices are these are they selling at? If you would buy the oil, and the the answer is like between 40 and 50 dollars a barrel, and so essentially they're severely discounting the future prices. If you think oil is going to be 40 or 50 dollars a barrel, what they're telling us is the stock price is priced correctly today. And so I tell the students, if you, you know, that's sort of the bet you're making. You're going, and I, I you love this. I sort of get them all excited. I said, you know, every day you're sort of like going to Las Vegas. You're just <laughs> analyzing the odds. Right. And so if you think oil's going to 70 and then the market's pricing in $40 a barrel oil, you know, you pull out your wallet and you put a heavy bet on there. On the other hand, if you think there's going to be a huge recession, if you think China is going to pull the plug or we're going to pull the plug on China and oil's going to 20 or 30 or $40 a barrel, then, you know, you, you don't make the bet. And uh, our students are, well, I was disappointed. They, I wanted them to make a, their um, annual bet on where oil prices were going to go. And they usually do that about two months ago in our first meeting. And they did not do it. And uh, they just adopted the year prior, what's called price deck or price assumptions. And uh, uh, I was, I because we were all, I wanted to hear mainly when they came out and said, hey, oil's going to, whether they're saying 70 or 60 or 50 or whatever they said, I wanted to hear the board that, you know, the SMU alumni, I wanted to hear all the questions they would get and blowback and feedback. And we didn't get any of that. So what, uh, uh, but I have my own personal opinion as to where oil prices are going and, and where they're at. And I do think, at, you know, at $60 a barrel, I think it's pretty, I think that's pretty fairly priced right now. I think it's a little bit low. I think we ought to be drilling. Um, we ought to be drilling uh, a little bit more at these prices. Okay. Yeah, one of the things we talked about um, is the ducks, and so the ducks in production and the the rig count. So the rig count has fallen. The ducks have got to be fallen. The production at some point has to go off. Um, you know, as we look back over 2019, we hit a lot of production metrics, but. Um, 
but now it feels like as we get to the end of the year, it's, it's, it's almost surprising that we were able to keep it up that long. Were you surprised with the way that all the, those various factors played out that we were able to keep production numbers so high through the, the, the second half of 2019? Well, I, get, well, <laughs> I will admit there I made a huge mistake in 2019. I Part of it is um, – I won't mention the name, but there's a, there's a consultant out of Tulsa that we're really good friends with. And he was telling me, I mean, it's been about a year ago, actually almost exactly a year ago. And he said, Joe, he goes, what's going to happen? He goes, you have all these ducks. And he goes, what's going to happen as the Permian, as they build out the pipeline system, they said, what you're going to see is the pipeline system out there in, around June or July or May, they're going to, the capacity is going to go way up. So they could take a lot more oil out of there. It won't be shut in. So you're going to see a whole bunch of those ducks because you're going to see a mad dash to for completion crews. And he goes, there'll be people, he goes, there won't be enough completion crews to um, complete all the wells. And there'll be a huge jump in production. And I, I bought off on that. And I figured starting in June or July of this year through right now, there would be, it would just be a, you know, a continued frenzy in Midland while we try to complete all these ducks uh, because we have the takeaway capacity, and that hasn't happened. And, they, and as you know, I mean, we just mentioned, you know, a number of um, service companies, completion companies have actually cut back and laid people off. So it's not, it's not really, it's not positive, and it's not really positive short-term going forward either. But um, um, so I am surprised, and I, I do think, and you mentioned it, at 800 rigs running right now versus um, the over 1,000, the 1,100 we had, I don't think at 800 rigs we can maintain production. And I've heard this from a number of people. That's not my own, you know, it is my take, but it's also the take of a number of others that if, you know, we need about 850 rigs to to keep things level more or less. We're at 800. I haven't got the rig count today. We're down 26% year over year, which if you told me that a year ago, if you said, if you told me two facts, um, we're up, we're up 50 to $60 on prices and or we're down 26% on rigs, I would have, that that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make sense. And it, um, and that, but that's where we're at. And, but going forward, I do think with the current rig count, I don't think we're going to be able to, I think people are going to be very disappointed in any increase we have, if we have any uh, in, in the next year in, in oil production. Um, And I would not be surprised to see a decline and I would not be surprised with, and I think the global economy is going to continue to grow. I think we're we're going to um, see oil prices uh, go higher because of the, you'll see global demand go up by about a million barrels per day, which it normally does every year, year after year after year. And um, and our and people are going to be shocked that the Permian, you know, all the people in, in New York City think, oh, you go out to the Permian and you just throw the little valve and you can put another million barrels on immediately. And it, it, it's not quite that easy. I mean, it's not a lot easier than it used to be, but it's still not that quite, quite that easy. So I think we will see higher prices in the coming year, but to where we're at now, I'm real disappointed in the rig count. I'm real disappointed in the equity prices. And you know, I can elaborate on some of the theories I have uh, with why equity prices are where they're at. Other than you know, I mentioned that the, concept that if you if you think oil is going to $40 or $45 a barrel, prices are correct. And so that's why they're where they're at. I, I have some other theories with regard to, 
you know, where why prices are where they're at for equities, not not oil prices. Uh, oil prices about 60 is about right. It's a little bit low, but it's just about right. 